0: This is first time with us. My name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some on the table over there. Feel free to grab one. We will be continuing our study through 1 Peter today. Uh, so if you join me there, uh, I will pray for us, and we'll go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people. A mighty fortress is our God. You have, you have protected us. You have moved in our lives. You have saved us. You are God who is mighty to save. Jesus, we love you. We need you. Uh, You've forgiven us for our sins and I pray you would continue to set us apart as holy and different and shape us to be people who enjoy you, who glorify you, who make much of your name, are faithful to your word and live as your people in this city for your glory. I pray you would set us apart as a different people that we would shine as light in the darkness around the reality of the gospel, around your death, burial and resurrection and that our life would be about that that your love for us would mark the life that we have as your people for your glory. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we live in a time and a place where there's a kind of homogenization of different. And what I mean by this, and I think this might really, really accent it, uh, is sometime in the late 1980s, the great, great hardcore band that you've never heard of, and it doesn't matter, called the Gorilla Biscuits, played a show somewhere on the East Coast. Now, What makes that particular show interesting is at some point in time, the guitar player, I think he spilled like ice cream. I'm probably also butchering the story. So if you fact check me on this, you're like, that was not exactly on how the ice cream spill story went. We'll both be on point there. But the, 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 the abbreviated version of the story, he spills ice cream on himself, kind of embarrassing. Uh, they're staying at somebody's house. Uh, he needs some clothes. The only clothes available to him are the dad's clothes. And so you have this punk rocker, late 1980s, uh, who puts on a nice uh, polo shirt and some nice like sort of dress-type-ish uh, shorts and I think maybe even some boat shoes or some kind of thing like that. So he gets up and he plays and, and this, these are all a bunch of punk rockers and they see him dressed like this and all of a sudden it's like, oh look, it's the new thing, <laughs> the guy who spilled ice cream on himself. And to this day you see straight edge hardcore kids, which are kind of, you know, subgenre of punk rocker, and you'll see them wearing fancy Fred Perry polos and nice shorts and they're, they're doing this thing because some guy in the late 1980s spilled ice cream on himself. It is a little absurd, but the reality is we have people, uh, many of us maybe even, you know, these t-shirts have been in my closet too, so it's not you guys out there, it's me right here. Uh, you know, you go to Hot Topic, you buy your Ramones shirt that was made uh, in China on a thing, pressed out of factory, 10 million of them everywhere in every mall everywhere in America, and we feel like we're being so different. The, the reality is, is in 2015, there's a homogenization to different. Uh, Sometimes there's a similarity to the different that we are, are experiencing as a culture. And I think one of the things that's amazing about the Bible is that the church, the people of God, are called to be a different people. A different people than those who surround us. But the reason we are different is not because we wear different t-shirts or or find ourselves in sort of this odd polo shirt situation, uh, but because we know something and have experienced something different than the world around us. We are gospel people. We are people who know the God of the universe because the God of the universe has chosen to reveal himself to us by coming to earth By dying on a cross, forgiving us for our sins, making us right with Him, and giving us life. And that comes as a free gift from God. This is called grace. That our relationship with Jesus is not about how good we are at uh, being good or meditating or knowing some things, but that God Himself has chosen to enter into human history and reveal Himself to us even when we didn't even like Him. Even when we didn't even love Him. He came and died to make us right with Him by His grace and mercy. And this impact, this reality of who God is, Jesus, and the fact that it's not an abstraction for us, but as Christian, we are people who know Him. I mean, let us never forget that as the people of God, we are the people of God. right? We can say these things, you are the church. And then it can kind of become vacuous and empty and... It doesn't mean anything because we just don't think about it. I don't even think it's that we stop saying it. We don't need a new word. Like, I, I'm, I'll, I'll put my cards on the table. I'm not into, uh, oh, well, Christian doesn't mean anything, so I'm a Jesus follower. They're called Christians. Read Acts 9. It's okay. I'm a follower of the way. Then they called them Christians. Acts chapter 9. It's in the Bible. Why do we do that? We're trying to find some meaning. The meaning isn't that we find something new to say. We don't invent some new idea. We actually take the thing that God has given us uh, in His Word and actually live out this meaning. And when we live as this people who know that God Himself has saved us, forgiven us, given us life, we live differently. That's what makes us a different people. And today that's exactly what Peter wants to instill in us in these verses. That's the very thing he is after in our community. Really in these communities he's writing to in Asia Minor. But he wants it for us. He's writing to a people who have not yet experienced governmental persecution as other Christians will. Even in John's time, we just got out of 1 John, and that's what he's dealing with. Peter's written before that. Peter's written when the heat is just on. There's no formal persecutions. People are just starting to say, I don't know what I think about these Christians. They freak me out. I don't like them. And, And the heat's on. And so Peter's writing to these churches, and Peter is the perfect guy to write to us about being different. Because in terms of religious figures, in and of himself and from the biblical evidence, that was sort of done with him after, after his life, and he's the first pope and all this other nonsense, to be just totally honest. <laughs> Not the first pope. He was married. It says so twice. Okay, he's married. I, I have Catholic friends who always don't like that one, but it's there. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, and it's there in Mark and chapter 2. You have to have a wife to have a mother-in-law. His mother-in-law, mother-in-law sick. Jesus comes and heals her. Right? But what makes Peter so different and so perfect is that he's weird in terms of what we kind of have come to expect in a uh, high-powered religious figure. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but he disappears. You're reading the book of Acts, you hit chapter 15, the Jerusalem council, and how many times is he mentioned in the other 27 chapters of the book of Acts? Zero. I'm getting a one. Someone's giving me hand signals. I will check that and correct myself if I'm wrong because I'm a human being and I can be wrong, just for the record. But he's almost not mentioned at all. If he's mentioned at all, it's, it's, he disappears. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. We, we get this story about how... Uh, uh, Paul rebukes Peter to his face in Antioch in the in the Providence of Galatia. And that's kind of it. We get 2 Corinthians chapter or 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul mentions, hey, the apostles travel with their wives doing ministry. Even Cephas, that's Peter. Then we get his two letters. We get Mark's gospel, that's likely his gospel account. He's a prominent figure in the gospel accounts, but he disappears. Now, if you're living and you're trying to be the top dog in a new religious community. Do you not think that you might make sure that you're more mentioned? That that there's more notoriety about you? There's not. In fact, when you read Mark's Gospel, and I mentioned this last week, but it's so worth noting, when you read Mark's Gospel, which is the account that Mark writes down from Peter's uh, account of this Jesus event, Peter looks like an idiot. Have you ever noticed that? You read Mark's Gospel, he looks like more of an idiot in Mark's Gospel than anywhere else. He gives us the little parenthetical phrase. He's on the mountain with Jesus in his glory. And he says, Jesus, should we make you some tents? And we get the parenthetical little statement. Because he didn't know what else to say. Because neither would you. You're there with Jesus in all his glory. What do you say? Abba, 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 abba. Should we make a tent for you and Elijah and Moses? What? And then it's over, right? And It goes back to normal and they move on. It seems when you actually look at the data that we have about Peter, that he continuously pushes himself out of the forefront and pushes Jesus into the forefront. Uh, Even the account of how he is executed. We are told that as Nero's persecution kicks up in 64, blames the Christians for burning down Rome, the first formal persecution, both Peter and Paul are executed, the story in church history goes that Peter says, you're going to crucify me? No. No, that's how Jesus died. I'm not good enough to die the way Jesus died. And so they say, fine, crucify him and flip him upside down. It seems that to his death, Peter's trying to get himself out of the way and Jesus at the forefront, because he, and this makes him a different kind of guy, but because he's a part of a different kind of religious community that's not about us and our experiences, but ultimately about knowing and loving Jesus and glorifying him. Let's look at the text. Second Peter, pardon me, First Peter chapter 1 Peter chapter 2 starting in verse 1. Now, there's the word so. So is not unlike the word therefore. Uh, if you were with us last week, we tried to move as quickly as we could through the 25 verses of chapter 1 to get a sense of this great grand picture that Peter was painting regarding the gospel and who we are because of the gospel and the value of the gospel. And so he's trying to go out of his way to show us wonderful and amazing things like... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And He goes on and on and on and on. And He's trying to make us understand that Christianity is not just a religion we show up to on Sunday, uh, but a life and a faith that's lived in and out of that gospel of Jesus Christ who's caused us to be born again, who's changed us, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything He's done. So... Because of that, because of that gospel reality, because of the fact that I was an enemy of the God of the universe and he chose to come into history and save me and forgive me for my sins and, and save me from death and from, to save me from evil and from the devil. He's done all these things. So now what? So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander because you've been so well loved by the God of the universe and the person of Jesus Christ. Stop doing these things. Stop having hatred towards others. I mean, Jesus says crazy things. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So put away all malice and all deceit. We're, we're truth bearers because we know He who is called the truth. And hypocrisy. Right? Peter. Peter. The guy who says Jesus, no, no, you don't don't go to the cross. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter, who says, they might all ditch you, but I won't ditch you, man. I'm I'm in it to win it. I am with you on this. Peter, you're going to betray me three times. He does so. The thing about being a hypocrite is just like, what would make Peter a hypocrite there is if he said, no, no, I did the right thing. It was God's will. He made some reason. He justified what he did. He blame shifted. You should have seen the Roman guards or this thing. He just owns it. He weeps. He cries. Someone's give me hand signals that I might have a wrong reference in Acts 15. Right? My job is not to tell you and to, to say of myself that we are human beings under God's authority and we get things wrong. I could pretend I don't see the hand signal and I just keep preaching through and no one will know. And whatever we do, just so that I look good when I tell you that my job is not to make me look good, but make to make Jesus look good. That would make me a hypocrite. I have to check my reference. Why? Human being. What's my aim? My aim in life is not to make you think I am the best Bible teacher here this morning. My aim is to make, to make us see Jesus for who he is and all his glory and be changed by it. Which means I'm a broken vessel and can stand up here in my imperfection and say things like that. If I pretended I wasn't, I'd be a hypocrite. And envy, wanting what other people got. And slander, saying things that aren't true about them. Two, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. So here he has this sense. We, you should have no sense from Peter in reading chapter 1 uh, that he thinks that someday you can work yourself to salvation. If you are a Christian, you are saved. You've been born again. You belong to God, and he belongs to you. Right? So what does he have in mind here? Verse 3 helps us. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, If in fact you have seen Jesus for who He is and seen Him in His goodness and His grace and His mercy, we should all make it our aim to do everything we can to know Him and to love Him more. To dedicate our lives to knowing the Word and living that Word out. To being the people of God together for His glory. And to doing it not so that people, again, think that we are awesome. Great. You have that awanus skill. You, you have that verse memorized. And if you do, praise the Lord. You know, If you did Awanas and you're one of those kids who can just pump them out, that's awesome. That's not what I was doing with my youth. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you and I have no problem there. But that's not, we don't do it so people throw you the, the, uh, the parade and you win the Bible spelling bee. Though you might. And if you can, that is awesome. You do these things so that you know him. So you have his word written on your heart no matter what the circumstance. When uh, my son Oa was in the hospital when he was a very little baby, uh, he was in neonatal intensive care uh, for several weeks. It was very hard. Probably, you know, we'd been, we hadn't been married very long, and here we are living in this hospital with our new baby. It was horrible. wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Uh, by God's grace, they move us out of the neonatal intensive care, which is like the size of your, my pulpit here. They moved us into another room with him. And it just been a grueling couple of weeks, and I lost my Bible. Gone. Okay, we're in this new room, and my lifeline is gone. It's, uh, you know, it's a time and place where I don't have a Bible on my phone. Right? My Bible is gone. And by God's grace and mercy, a great man named Bill Clem was really encouraging me to memorize long chunks of Scripture. And we've been memorizing the Sermon on the Mount together. And there I am with my wife, and we are without God's Word, and I begin to recite to her, uh, not because I'm good, but because God is gracious, the Sermon on the Mount. They took my, they didn't, it turns up, and it's great, and God's great, and we live in America, I can get a new one. Um, but in that moment, it was taken away. This, the physical thing, had been taken away from God's Word. And by God's grace and mercy, because I've been committing it to memory, because someone else had been encouraging my lazy self, my lazy bones, to do that. Thanks, Bill. I was doing it. I didn't have my Bible, but I had his word. Like newborn infants long for the pure and spiritual milk I think this is the word here. This is the truth. This is the Bible. This is when the Bible, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that we should be people that are of such of the Bible that when we get cut, we bleed Bible. Um, That we are so into God's word and just being steeped in this thing that it's, it's what we think about and what's on our minds. You know what I mean? Like, I, I get it. Like, we, we live in a time and a place where you can stick the earbuds in and listen to music. And, and we're Christians who, at this church, we don't say, that has to all be uh, Jesus music all the time. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is we take all this time to put all this other stuff on our brains and in our minds, and how much time do we just take to get stoked in the Word? How much time do we take to read His Word? I know you're home. It's tired. Your husband just got home. You want to put your feet up. The kids in Michelle. And Seinfeld is so funny and you just want to zone out for just a minute and chillax. Hey, I get it. I'm not saying you can't. I'm not saying Seinfeld is bad. In fact, it might be the greatest show ever made. (laughs) What I am saying is that we're quick to prioritize. I'm quick to prioritize. Uh, In a hospital room, I didn't need to be able to, though I might be able to, recite on end, Seinfeld lines. Not helpful. But because Bill pushed me, I was being nurtured on the spiritual milk and could recite to my bride the word. That's what we needed, not Seinfeld. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's saying like an infant, we're hungry for We're hungry for His Word. We're hungry for Bible teaching. We're hungry to know Him. This happened when I got saved. If there was something at a church where there was Bible teaching, I was there because I'd just gotten saved and I needed someone to open this book and tell me what it meant because I was very confused. All I knew, I was hungry for what was ever on the menu. I would go to church in the morning and the evening because I was at a place that had morning and evening service. I'd go to both just so I could hear it again because I had no idea because I was hungry. Turns out babies are hungry, right? Children are hungry. When my kids are hungry, they just tell me they're hungry. We're driving in the car. We have somewhere to be. We have an appointment. That's why we have snack bars in the car because they are children and they are hungry. Are we that way with God's Word? Did you wake up hungry this morning when you came in here? Were you ready to eat? Not that it's my job just to feed you. It's my job to teach you how to get in this thing for yourself. Yeah, it's my job to stand up here and say, Jesus is awesome. Let's praise the Lord. This is what it says. Sing. It is my pleasure. It is my honor. But just as much as it is my pleasure and my honor to lift up the name of Jesus, my hope is that y'all are being equipped more and more to do this yourself as well. So that you can do this yourself as well. We have Bible studies, discipleship groups, we want you in those so that you can do this for you and so that you can help other people do this too, right? Like newborn infants long for the pure and spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, that you may be more and more the person God has already made you to be. And, and listen to this. As you come to him, this is who you are, church. If you're a Christian, this is who you are. As you come to him, A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You're precious. You're chosen. If you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you sit in the hands of God, chosen and precious, not because you are awesome, but because He is so gracious to you. Friends, I'm a sinner and so are you. My sins have been paid for by the blood of the Lamb. And because He has done that, He holds me in His hand and calls me chosen and precious. Now, what I need you to see what Peter's doing here. He's starting with us as individuals and he's about to widen the scope out into a local community. And I think ultimately widen it out into the big C church. All the people who love Jesus. So watch it. Watch it go. As you come to Him, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Right? He's reminding them they're feeling the squeeze here in Galatia, in Cappadocia. They're feeling the squeeze of people starting to say, I don't like these Christians. I don't like what they're up to. I don't trust them. I'd rather have somebody else work at my shop. I'd rather hire a different carpenter. I would rather have somebody else out in my field working. I don't trust these guys. They don't. They don't go down to the temple with us. They don't worship the God. They don't worship our pretend gods. They don't do the stuff of our culture. They're kind of fuddy duddies. They're doing their own thing. They're probably getting the heat both from their pagan neighbors and from their their Jewish neighbors who have not accepted Jesus as their Messiah, and they're getting squeezed. This is important because we like to be liked, right? No one starts. The Twitter feed, so that every, maybe if you're, maybe you're sadistic, I don't know, but no one says I'm going to get on Twitter so everyone just hates me and sends me hate tweets. Tell me how horrible I am. It's not why you get on the thing, unless it's sort of your thing, and then that's another sermon for another day, right? You get on those things so people like it. You quote your thing so someone says that's cool. I like that, and there's not really anything wrong with that per se, unless that's too much a thing. Uh, but what I am saying is he's saying, hey, by the way, because of this different community that you are, there are people who are not going to like you. But when they don't like you, you need to remember who you are. Rejected by them, chosen by God. That, in fact, Jesus was so rejected on the cross, however we get rejected in the world, we can't be more rejected than they rejected him. No, he tells us the way it went for me, it's going to go for you guys. But in that, we need to know what Paul's going to call a short momentary affliction. Regardless of what happens, you're chosen and loved by God. That's way, way, way better. A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, collective. You don't put one brick on the yard and say, "This is my house." Put some mortar on it, a little shingle, right? Not a house. <laughs> you yourselves, anchor church, like living stones. I, I want to be careful here, but I, I can't help but wonder if he doesn't have Ezekiel in mind when Jesus says, "I am going to take their heart of flesh, and, or their heart of stone, and give them a heart of flesh." That language in Ezekiel, heart, for, for Old Testament people, heart doesn't just mean ba-bum, 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 or doesn't just mean, oh, that's nice, heart, like stuff. I don't know, when you want to hear heart, he's got a heart. Or like heart, like he's got a heart, he's courageous. But it really means the seat of the human person, the psyche, the, the who you are, that Jesus is going to take the who you are of stone and give you a who you are of flesh. So I, I can't help but wonder if he doesn't have these living stones, like, you know, stone, now they're a lot, I don't know, I... I can't help but wonder if he's not thinking that. And I, and I say that because he is about to pummel us. He's about to show us how to preach the gospel from the Old Testament here, by the way. So maybe I just, there's the spoiler alert, uh, but here we go. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. We'll come back for that one. Okay, we're gonna come back for both of those words, but a holy priesthood. Set apart people who are what? To offer spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, which is what? Doesn't mean animals at this point in time. Uh, Romans is really clear. We're, we're living sacrifices. Our whole life lived, glorifying, and enjoying Jesus for all He is. Is our is our is our spiritual? We are you and I are living sacrifices. Our life is this thing towards Christ in all that we do. To our spiritual sacrifice. That's our life acceptable to God. You and I were once not acceptable to God. And if you don't know Jesus, the only thing that makes you acceptable to God is Jesus Christ paying the price for your sins and making Him right. But hear this. So because of this, your life in Christ is pleasing to God. Your life doing the Jesus-y stuff that you do we have a, you can't have a mentality that says, I just got to do something. I just want to make God happy. If I could only do this, I, make God I just want to make Well, you know what? God has been made happy in the cross of His Son, and He's imputed that. He's put that upon you that you can live a life that's glorifying to Him. Sacrifice acceptable God through Jesus Christ. Now listen. Oh man. How do you not preach all these texts? You just got to do what Peter does. We can't go to all these different places because he's about to say crazy, amazing stuff. To God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Now he's doing some paraphrasing. He's dropping a couple things out. He's not necessarily trying to do a direct quote here all the time, uh, but he is borrowing heavily from the Septuagint. Behold, this is Isaiah 46 and 8. He drops seven out. Behold, I am lying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be put to shame. Why? We all have to stand before God. You and I will be judged by the God of the universe, period. And when those of us who are covered by the blood of the Lamb stand before that God, He looks at us and sees what Jesus does and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome on in. Welcome home. Welcome home. He doesn't do that because of Yeruanus' spelling bee champion prowess. We do a Wanna Spelling Bee champion prowess because we know what awaits us. We await God who loves us through Jesus. Well, I'm laying his eye on a stone, a cornerstone. That's Jesus, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, here's what he's doing check this out. This is a rabbi trick. It's called pearl stringing in English, where you take a word from the text that you just used, and you take that word in another text. And you do a little leapfrog, whoop, to the next text. Now, this shows us something about Peter. He's never called a rabbi, but he's using a rabbinic trick. Trick, method, exegetical method. So the honor is for you who believe, Anchor Church. But for those who do not believe, Psalm 118 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So these people who should have been expecting Messiah who rejected Messiah they're the builders the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone they rejected him but he is the cornerstone now why is this important As I was looking at this text with a couple of guys on Monday morning we found this uh, I didn't see it someone else saw it uh, it was beautiful this is Psalm 118 now why is Psalm 118 important uh, in the post exilic time this is a Passover psalm this is a psalm they recite at Passover And one of the things that Peter and John are going to continuously try and do is point us to the reality that Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the one that our sins are passed over because his blood is put on our doorposts. And of course, Jesus actually associates himself with this in Mark's gospel. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, Isaiah 8. So stone, stone, stone. Rabbinic trick. Paul's going to use the language for those of us who are being saved. This is the power of God. For those who are perishing, this is offensive. Here's me paraphrasing Paul. The truth that you cannot earn your salvation is actually offensive to people. The truth that you can look at someone and say, this guy's done everything wrong. This is the worst human being on planet Earth. And if he turns to the Lord, he will be saved. He, or she, being the worst person on the planet, Someone, someone, if we put everybody on a score, someone on planet Earth is actually the worst person on the planet right now, right? If we're going to score it. Because that's how we do it, right? Uh, when you ask people who are not Christians about hell and heaven, they say, well, you know, I don't really believe in that stuff. But if it's true, you know, uh, Mother Teresa, I don't know why it's always Mother Teresa, it's, it's always Mother Teresa or Gandhi, she's here. And then it's usually Stalin or Hitler, and they go here. I've had this conversation a thousand times, a thousand different people, and it always goes about the same, right? One of those, you're not supposed to say Hitler, so people say Stalin, because he's bad, or Pol Pot, if they're really like, you know, into being cool, because he's really bad. But not everybody knows, he's a little esoteric, horrible human being, right? So horrible human Pol Pot's here, and the Mother Teresa is up here, or Gandhi. Well, you know, you can, I'm not making any political comments or, of the goodness of these people, I'm just telling you how this conversation always goes. It's always one. Or Martin Luther King goes in there too. He's the other guy that goes in there. So, so one of them's righteous, Messiah level work, and one of them's not. And I said, well, I'm not this guy or that guy. I'm somewhere in between here. And, you know, I, I've tried to be a nice person. I think I'm good with God. I, I think we're okay here. Now, when you say, well, what about Pol Pot? He's dead now. So if that guy, who's arguably horrific human being, horrible, Or random. It's even better with a random. Whoever's on the bottom of that scale right now on planet Earth, if right now they turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and call on His name, they will be saved, period. This is the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is offensive. You mean I've worked so hard to be so kind to all these people and even on his deathbed, that guy gets to say he's sorry and God will take him into his kingdom and he gets to live with God and I don't? Yes, welcome to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how it works. That's how it always works. If it doesn't work that way, it's not grace. If it's, you have to be good enough to get the grace, it's not grace. You earned your way into the final tier of the next Food Network star. You've made it. You have the chance. That's what I watch on Netflix, so sue me, right? (laughs) You made it, though. You've, You've worked so hard and you're there, and now you can receive the grace. Wrong. Wrong, we have nothing on God. Because then you could say, it's the cross of Jesus Christ plus all the good things that I did. No, it's only the cross of Jesus Christ and that is to the praise of his glory. And if you are not a Christian it's available, you could literally be sitting in this room and be the worst person on planet earth right now and this is available to you. I digress. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now listen. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Pete's doing something in here that if we read it slowly, and maybe if you've read Hosea, you might see. Maybe Exodus. This is why I'm going to urge you read your Bible, read your whole Bible. I know Hosea is confusing, I know it's really confusing. There are people here who would love to help you study and understand Hosea. Hosea gets weird. Weird. Hosea, I want you to marry this gal. That gal? Yep, that gal. And she's going to treat you horrible. Really? Is that you, God? Yes. And you're going to have some children, and you're going to give them weird names. (laughs) People laugh because they've read Hosea, and you're like, what kind of weird names could they give them? Well, let's look at them. So he's basically quoting Hosea 2:22 and 23 here. Now, so here's what you got to know. And we'll get to Exodus in just a second. Hosea is writing in the 8th century BC. It's prior to 722 when the Assyrians come in and wreck shop on the northern kingdom. The Hebrew is hard, and for a long time they thought it was because it was broken. It turns out it's just Northern Kingdom, Hebrew, most people agree now. Uh, it's a very difficult book to get after, but it is a, an amazing and wonderful and beautiful book. So he's writing in the midst of, if you've read uh, that part of 1 Kings that describes the time between when when uh, the, the Northern Kingdom breaks off from after Solomon's reign uh, to the time that the Assyrians come in and wreck shop, it's like I don't know what it is. It's nuts, okay? It is, it is madness. It is evil. It is wicked. It is gnarly. It is horrible. And here's Hosea preaching in that. And this is what God tells him to say. And this is what God says to him. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, and the wine, and the oil, and they shall answer Jezreel. This is probably a courtroom thing, a courtroom setup. Um, and I will sow her for myself in the land and you and I will have, listen to this, so these are his kids names, no mercy and not my people I know people are really going for interesting and creative names these days but please do not name your children uh, no mercy unless you want them to be a professional wrestler but definitely not not my people I don't know what to do with that and I will have mercy on no mercy and I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now what's the context then? So he's writing to these people who are going nuts. They're worshiping pretend gods, kings are doing horrible things, people are doing worse, they're running, they're rebelling, they're warring against God, and Hosea keeps saying, come back, come back, come back. And his wife is this word picture for what Israel is doing to God. But he says there's this time coming. There's this time coming when these people who have, totally and completely rejected me, I'm going to say to them, you get mercy. There's this time coming when the people have made themselves my enemy and, and, and done everything to say to the world, these are not the people of God, to say to him, these are my people. When's that fulfilled? Peter thinks it's right here. And in fact, I would go so far as to say Peter thinks it's right here. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Who are these people receiving the mercy? So listen, this is what he says about us and about you if you're a Christian. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you would go left with me to Exodus 19. This is God talking to Moses. The Lord called to him out of the mountain. This is right before the Ten Commandments happened. If you don't know Exodus very well, we're 19. Always remember... Ten Commandments, chapter 20, and there'll be a quiz afterwards to see who can recite all the Ten Commandments from memory. I'm just kidding. It's, an, it's an, one of those things where you say that and you realize that's my own inside personal joke. There's a, there's a prophet at my school who, when my friend Bill, who I mentioned earlier, he, he would do oral exams on tests in the Bible class, and he'd have two students come in at a time, and he said to the first kid, young man, he said, not kid, young man, he was a young man, he didn't say young man, he said, Recite for me, from memory, the Ten Commandments. Go. And my friend Bill sitting there like, I hope we get an easier question than that. Holy smokes. Now, if they'd been Presbyterians, they would have had it memorized from catechism as children. But hey, moving on. <sighs> okay. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, because they wouldn't let them go. They got out. And how how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me, this is an amazing phrase, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now, what's the problem? They do the Hosea thing, and it doesn't go well for them. They don't obey his voice, and things go really, really horrible. And yet God, in his grace and mercy, still sends the one he promised to fix everything, Jesus. So what Peter is seeing here is in the church is the fulfillment of these things that go from way, way, way back in the day. You know, these promises from 1450, circa 1450 B.C. uh, These promises from before 722 B.C. And he's seeing them ultimately fulfilled in Jesus for the people of God here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. The people of God have always and always will be called to be different any question about what, what's going on with this Mosaic Covenant stuff, all this stuff sets them apart as the people of God. And we as the church, here now on this side of the cross, also the people of God, part of the people of God, along with believing Israel, the people of God, as the church, here we are. Listen to these things, okay? Listen how this demonstrates the difference in our community. I'm just going to take the words and we'll just look at them. So, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points on how this makes us the set apart different people of God. Number one, chosen. So the word also could be rendered elect. Before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians chapter one, God picked us to be His for His glory. He picked you before you were born to be His. If you are here today hearing this gospel, He picked it. You're here by His sovereign grace and mercy. Because if it is not this way, it is all of grace that He moves. It is all of grace that He does this thing. You're chosen. And again, we saw this earlier. You're chosen not because you are awesome, but because God is gracious. You're chosen not because you did something to earn His love, but because He's extended His love to you and you responded. You turned to Him. He called your name and you heard Now, I think how this is different than our city. Our city is all about self-determination. I'm in it for me. I get this thing done. I'm the one pushing the tires on this thing. No, it's God's grace and mercy that moves in our life. Now, here's an interesting thing. Again, this is a question we asked Monday morning. So he uses the word race in this first one. A chosen race. And then he's going to say a holy nation. Uh, This word nation here is the word that can also be translated Gentile. So what's going on? What is this holy race? Uh, This race seems to have more in mind something like offspring, family. We are called out from the people of the world to be the family of God by his grace and mercy. Yeah, he made a promise in circa 1450 that he fulfilled. And yeah, he made a promise before the Assyrians wrecked shop on the northern kingdom. But even more than that, he made a promise to a man named Abraham. Who's worshiping pretend gods somewhere near Iraq? Mm, Two thousand years ago, ish. The farther back you get, the more ish is a bigger span of time. When was I born? 1981, mm, ish. When is uh, the, the difference between that and Abraham? The ish in uh, about you know, you know, four thousand years ago, ish is a little more ish ish. I guess. But he made a promise to a pagan living in Iraq. Abe, get your stuff. We're getting out of here. You're going to leave your land, your father's land, your family, and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make your offspring like the sand of the sea. I'm going to make them uncountable. Now, what do we see in the book of Revelation, this great picture in heaven? As John looks out, what does he see? People from every tribe and every tongue beyond count. If you're a Christian, we're going to be part of this group of people from every tribe and every tongue beyond count in this promise made to Abraham. To be this awesome, Paul's going to use that language in Galatians. We're the offspring of Abraham. Abraham, see, if Abraham's you know, as or then Abraham seed, not seeds, but then us seed. Then it's Jesus, and then we're the, the people of God through Jesus. This is this big, giant fulfillment of this thing. Peter has this beautiful, wonderful sense that we read, and it turns out what Pete is doing is again and again and again and again and saying, "Hey, there's this giant story." where humans broke everything and sinned against God. God made a promise to fix the things they broke, and He kept telling them about this thing He was going to do, and the person of Jesus who forgives sins, makes them right, and gives them life. And He's saying, look, Messiah's come. The Christ has come. Jesus is God. He's the one. He's done all this stuff that God said was going to happen. Praise the Lord. Now here's the one that's amazing. A kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood. Why is this amazing? Old Testament knowledge. Because kings and priests come from different families in the Old Testament. Kings come from the line of Judah. Priests are Zadokites from Levi's line. And they're different. And, and, and any time they start coming together throughout the history, even in the intertestamental te- period in between the Old Testament and New Testament, people kind of freak out. Even when that gets lifted, when the priestly line gets lifted from a guy who's of the Zadokite line. He's the priest that's in charge when David's in charge. So a long time before this. This is probably why, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They go out and live in the desert. They go out and live in the desert because the wrong guy from the wrong family is the priest. And they say, we are taking our things and moving to the backwoods. See you later. We don't have the temple. We don't have this line. We don't have... A lot of this stuff is not a big deal to us, but the fact that we even have the Dead Sea Scroll stuff is because people said, I'm taking my stuff and I'm getting out of here because that guy's not supposed to be the priest. Now, this is why Jesus freaks people out because he's a different kind of priest. He's not a Levite priest. He's a priest of the order of Melchizedek, which so close to lunch, we don't have time to unpack that whole thing, but what's so important is that we know that Jesus comes as this priest-king. He comes as this priest king. And what's amazing about that is represented in these offices, these two things about God you must know. He's transcendent. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is above all, ruling all. And yet this one who is so transcendent and glorious, he's priestly, he's eminent. He's transcendent and he's eminent. And those two features are captured in his roles and in his office. And somehow we're part of this thing that he's doing. Not that we're transcendent or eminent. We're eminent but not transcendent but that we're royal, right? So so we're chosen. So it's not about self-determination. We're chosen into this family. We love us, not community. It's always about us and not the people. Family is about people, not us. Royal, Honestly, we love our lives being about my kingdom. I want things the way I want them, when I want them. And if Amazon wants to send me something in the mail for free for two days, instead of the one-day thing where I type something into the computer and things magically show up on my doorstep the same day, I throw a fit because I got the free two-day shipping. Guess what? That's about my kingdom. That's my kingdom. Mine, 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 mine. Kingdom of God's about God. We're royal priests. We're part of the kingdom of God as people that are for his glory and for him and for him. Priesthood. We're worshipers. I mean, honestly, let's be real. This is Seattle. We love to worship ourselves, remember? Mine, 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 mine. This is about Jesus. This is about making His name famous and glorifying Him and pointing to Him with everything we've got because He's redeemed us from all this junk and this misery and He's given us life which means every shred of my life even if it's you sitting watching Seinfeld and you're like, well, he said I should read my Bible instead of watching Seinfeld. Maybe you're giving your husband a chance to actually serve you because your feet are tired because you've been chasing kids all day and you just want to watch Seinfeld for 22 minutes plus commercials and you give him an opportunity to glorify God by helping you let you put your feet up for just a minute and by receiving it right it's kingdom stuff because he's putting you first instead of him first it's even kingdom stuff to let him uh, worship jesus by loving and serving you priesthood our lives are living sacrifices as we mentioned earlier holy we love to be liked well honestly being liked it isn't always being set apart. Being liked is usually, how do we be as much like the world as we can? How do I be as much like my non-Christian neighbors as I can and still call myself a Christian? My aim is to be a Jesus person. That makes me set apart. Nation. Wonderful Abrahamic covenant. We're about our little world. God wants you to be about his big world. You might not be called to go to Iran, but man, you're here in America. Throw those guys a rope. I mean, we're, we're trying to do what we can to, to help in India and pick up stuff in Scotland, which turns out is broken and dark and backwards, and figure out how do we better as a church reach the nations and how do we better use the fact that we live here in 2015 and are very wealthy. I was, I was talking with Eric about this the other day, or just, just before church, how much, just a few dollars. We give 200 bucks a month to India. We have since we planted. That supports a church planter, Probably a church plant in our church now, a pastor. His wife and his children for 200 bucks a month out of the money that we give as a church. Man, 200 bucks a month? We support a whole nother church as a church. Amazing. How do we do that more? Right? Because it's not about us and the smallness, it's about the hugeness. It's about being so excited for that day when you and I are there with Jesus and apparently we are all speaking our language or something because every tongue is represented. I don't know how that all works out, but but that you and I are there and we're joined with the family, the nation of God, the holy people of God throughout all time and all these people that Jesus has done all these miracles. Just he's done miracles in your life and in this church. He's doing miracles in the lives and the churches and the people all across the world and we get to spend all the eternity doing what? Jesus, 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 Jesus. Why? Last word, praise. We can be so insular and we can be so small and we can be so about ourselves and we're really called to see this huge, giant picture of all the things Jesus has done to redeem us from our sin for his glory. Praise the Lord. If you don't know him, I want you to meet him. He is huge and he's amazing and he is awesome. And he will save you from your sins. He will forgive you from every, even if you are that worst person in the world. You ain't got nothing. You cannot outsend the cross of Jesus Christ. Come to know him. He is God. He reaches down to get us, not us getting up to him. It's not you putting your life together so he'll like you. It's him taking us to be on his team, even though we don't deserve it at all. And that is the grace and mercy of God. How do I and then ask myself when I see this thing, me living to the praise of His glory, how do I give my life to the praise of His glory? How do I give my life to live a life that is set apart as these things, as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? How does my life more and more embody this? How do we live as a different people? How do you live as a different person? And how do we as a church live as a different people? How do we strive together then, as the people of God, to be this alternative community, this different community here in Seattle? Right? How do we do this together? How do we love one another? How do we love our neighbors? How do we create a hospitable place for people to be? Right? How do we just make sure that we're not living uh, just like the rest of Seattle? A, this is not a like, gargantuan church. You could actually probably say hi to every... I mean, don't do this because I'm saying it. You can't do it because I'm saying it. You can actually say hi to people when they walk in. Welcome, are you new here? Welcome, have a seat. Would you like to sit next to me? I have a seat right here. Because it turns out we have chairs. There's a seat. You can sit in my seat next to me. Hi. I mean, right? Maybe it's just my block. Neighbors hide. I go to get the mail. They run in. They hide. They wait till I'm out of town to wash their car. Let's be different than that. Let's be different than that. Let's weird people out how friendly we are. Not because we're creeps because we're actually treating other human beings like human beings. Ultimately, this helps us, all these different things, is giving ourselves to make his name famous, to serve each other. We we are here in Seattle, church. How many Christians are in Seattle? Honestly, none, right? There's a handful of churches. We love them. Oh, praise the Lord for... Green Lake Pres and Calvary down in uh, Wallingford and for all the different churches preaching the gospel this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord that we're here together. But honestly, if you got us all together, Key Arena's not full. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what church are you from? Here in the one section we're all sitting in together. You know? Pray for those guys. Pray for those other churches. But how do we do our part? How do we live... Um, realizing we're not inviting people into some tradition. Yeah, it is tradition, you know. Uh, I've had people ask, well, you know, how do you, how do you connect to church history if you're meeting in a, you know, you have this building. Well, it's an old building. We didn't build it, and nobody we know built it, but we're here, and, you know, these plastic chairs and not pews. How do you hook into tradition? Well, didn't you hear it? Didn't you hear it in the story? I'm part of this thing that God started doing with Abraham. I'm part of this thing he started doing in Exodus 19 and before there. You're you're part of this thing he told Hosea he was going to do before 722 B.C. Yeah, I don't have like Assyrian, circa Assyrian chairs. Nobody does. They're dust. I've got something way bigger and way huger. And it's not just about saying, oh, hooked up with Abraham. Hooked up with Jesus, who existed before time, who made a plan before time to save sinners for his glory and for our joy. And we come and we bring this as, as Jesus' people to see how We carry this message in this gospel. And this is what we invite, what we invite our neighbors into. I'm in a minute, we're going to transition to communion, which is instituted by the Lord Jesus Christ himself on the night he was betrayed. When we take communion, we remember Jesus' body broken and blood shed for us. Uh, when we come and we take this, we, as Paul urges us to do, we consider our sin first. But if you are a Christian, you are welcome to come to this table. Uh, if you've done your work with the Lord. If you've repented of your sin, you come to this table in remembrance of what He did, His body broken and blood shed to pay the price for all the sins we sinned against Him and others to make us right with God and to make us what? The people of God. And so we take this as the people of God, as the people of God together. We take communion, we stand up and we sing and we celebrate this God who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light by his blood. And that's his grace. So when you're ready, um, feel free to come and take of this. The the band will come and we'll sing. It'll be awesome. Uh, I will pray for us. Jesus, we do love you. We thank you for calling us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You made promises to Hosea as he watched your people live in object sin, as he watched the Assyrians come in and take everybody away. You made promises to Isaiah and to to Jeremiah. You made promises to Daniel. You made promises to the apostles. You made promises to the church. And some of those are fulfilled in us now, and some of those things are coming And so we look forward to that day when this thing is fully restored by your grace and mercy and your kingdom is fully come. Uh, But right now we thank you for washing us clean from our sins, for making Anchor Church a people, for the other churches in the city you've made a people, and pray that you would just help us to live for the praise of your glorious name. Help us to serve each other, love each other, point each other to the reality for the praise of Your glorious name. Help us to remember we are part of this thing, this history that You are moving along the tracks of the covenants for Your glory, that You are moving, God. And it's Your grace that we've been invited into this to be a royal priesthood and to be a holy nation and to be a set-apart chosen people. And I pray we would not just remember it, but live it for Your glory and for our joy and in Your name. Jesus Christ, amen.